Ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for staying. I'd like to introduce the director of this fine piece of work, Matthew O'Connor, and the star, Ronan Jones, and our moderator for this evening, Roe McDermott. Hi everyone, uh, my name is Ro McDermott, I'm the film editor for Hot Press Magazine and a columnist for the Irish Times and personally love films, first of all about smart, interesting young <laughs> First of all, I love torturing all of your eardrums, uh, as well as that, love films about smart, interesting young women, love coming of age stories and love particularly when they come from brilliant and lovely Irish people, so this film is basically everything I've ever wanted, so I'm delighted to be here. And this is Hugh O'Connor and Jordan Jones, and we are going to have a bit of a chat. I'm also going to throw uh, open uh, this little Q&A to ye at the end. So if you have questions, if you have comments, feel free to get involved. But before we start, can we just have one more round of applause? Because there's so many. Of So to get started, Hugh, I'm going to throw this to you because we have seen you on screen, you've been a phenomenal actor for so many years, you've done incredible shorts, your photography is beautiful, like just disgustingly multi-talented, really irritating. Um, but for your feature directorial debut, this is such an interesting project to choose. Was this always the goal? You wanted this to be your debut? Or how did this come to be? It? Um, well, short answer, very quickly, thanks so much for coming guys, it's really good to you. Um, I'd been I'd written and kind of directed some shorts and I was working on a feature with the film board and the development guy decided he didn't like the scripts after the first draft and I was depressed and I didn't know what to do and I ended up doing a play, acting in a play and I was um, acting with an actor called Stephen Swift, a lovely actor who passed away about two years ago and he was, I was in college with him and he saw I was reading a book called Skippy Dies and I was thinking maybe working with a writer so I wouldn't just be banging my head against a brick wall and so he put me in touch with Paul, and so I kind of basically pitched him an idea about, you know, what if we had no money but we could do a film? Would you write like a suburban story maybe about teenagers? I was pitching like Twin Peaks for teenagers, was my pitch, and that was clearly what that is now, right? But, um, so he came back with an idea about two sisters, and that's where we started. So I sort of said to him, like, you be the writer, I'll be the director, and then we won't fight uh, that much, which we didn't. But you had already worked with Jordan because you had acted together. So did, when you were reading the script and coming up with the story, did she instantly come to mind or did this process come later? It sort of evolved because, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, we probably worked together in 2017, maybe? Or yeah, that's from we had done, yeah. So, so it should have been by the obvious, but it wasn't. But, um, but then I think actually when, when Jordan's name came up, I'd seen Dave Time in short and, and the Frank Berry film. So I knew Jordan and obviously I'd act, act with her. So it made loads of sense. And, and, and I was doing play in, in New York with Charlie Murphy. And we saw Jordan's tape. And I remember Charlie was just like, she's amazing, you cut down her. Um, so I'll totally take credit for that as well. <laughs> Um, so the short that we're referring to is Heartbreak by Emma Kerwin, which is so stunning and went completely viral and brought Jordan to all these audiences who immediately appreciate her talent. And I used to be here, which is a very stunning film. But Jordan, reading the script then, and also the prospect of working with you, who you've worked with, getting to, first of all, getting to work with a director who's also an actor must be so appealing because I would presume that there's a level of empathy and awareness of what actors want to do and how they want to collaborate. So that must have been like very comforting. Um, yeah, I was very lucky to have Hugh as a director and um, I, it was definitely noticeable that he was an actor as well and it really benefited my role and um, 
he allowed us so much space and freedom to play around with the role and um, yeah, it was just, I was immediately comfort, uh, comfortable on set because I had worked with him and I knew that he was a lovely person and yeah, it was just a really great atmosphere. And tell me about the appeal of Emma because we've spoken before and Emma is such a, I mean, if anyone here wasn't a weird girl growing up, if you're a girl, I, I won't understand you. I was a weird girl growing up, that idea of feeling out of place, which I think all teenagers do, but Emma feels it so deeply. Was that something you could empathise with and immediately recognise? Um, yeah, definitely. Um, for Emma, I felt really strongly about how she expressed herself uh, through music, through her style, through uh, her way of thinking, even if it was really pretentious sometimes. <laughs> Um, because it's kind of dismissed a lot um, when teenagers go on that journey of finding themselves and you know they're told oh it's a phase or you know they're delusional or whatever so I didn't want Emma to come across that way and we had discussed that together so we we didn't want to you know change her pretty and pink like Chantel by the end uh, they, they both have to um, get somewhere within themselves um, without completely changing themselves because we didn't want to give out that message so I think that that done a good job of, of what we were going for. Absolutely yeah. and tell me a little bit about working together because obviously you're directing and there's a, a another man writing the script about two girls uh, so tell me about working with Jordan and getting feedback and how you guys collaborated to create the characters. Yeah I know we, we so we thought about that we need to own the fact that we're both pale Irish men in our 40s who've kind of worked on this and uh, <laughs> the only excuse is that Kind of that's how it ended up happening, but um, that's why Jordan is such an important part of the the, the kind of the, the construction of it, and uh, and also Rebecca, our producer, she has I think she's got like five sisters, um, and so we and I have a brother um, who I fought with all my my teens, and um, my cousin is born is there, I think he knows about that, um, and I guess everyone has family, you know, and so we all you know we all know that that experience, but um, but particularly from the feminine female point of view, it was really really important that Jordan felt like every scene she would you know, that she believed in and, and particularly stuff with Mo, you know, we, we talked about that and, you know, make sure that you were comfortable and would you would you kiss him? Like, and she was like, I wouldn't. If you were saying that, I wouldn't. So we were like, okay, well, that's what you say that. So it was literally to that kind of degree. And talk to me that because I love that point about making sure that Emma doesn't completely have a complete makeover and suddenly end up in all pastels and doesn't change herself. Because even in classic teenage films like The Breakfast Club, you have Ali Sheedy starting out as the glorious weirdo. And by the end, they do give her the makeover to make her more palatable, which always feels like a bit of a sellout. So tell me about kind of teen movie influences and then what tropes you deliberately wanted to play with. Yeah, it's funny. I even remember you writing a piece a while ago about the, um, the slow-mo, the trope of the slow-mo woman walking through. You said peace, other people would say rant, I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> but I was very conscious of that. I remember when you were doing going, over, I was going to be okay with this. <laughs> She's wearing some pretty good clothes. But um, yeah, I mean, we did talk about the 80s movies. Well, you guys have never heard of any of the ones that we were talking about, which made me feel really old. Um, but, but there were things, obviously, super bad, something like that. I mean, that was a, that was a reference for us. I just saw, saw Booksmart, which is amazing. And just blew me away. Um, but, but yeah, that, that was kind of the. We talked again like before about Molly Ringwald and all those movies being quite serious and sort of being the heartfelt one and the one who's actually going through stuff and suffering. She's actually not that funny. She's sort of more, you know, she's just being, being living her life. And, and if everyone else is, is, can be a little bit funnier because she's sort of going through a real process. And that was again something that, that you know, Jordan brought to us. She's so honest and real and can't be untruthful that you know we, we we knew we had that on our side which is amazing 
And what's that like for you, Jonah? Because first of all, Emma, it's kind of the butt of some jokes in a lot of ways. And she's also in this very complex relationship with Mo Dunford's character. Mo Dunford is so brilliant at straddling the line between being so charming and so creepy. Um, but you have to play the truth of that character. And for that character, this is she's making all of her own decisions. She feels very mature. She's appreciating the attention. And you can't judge her. But then for an audience, we're all nervous for her and wanted to work out well. What, it's like, what is it like to play with those dynamics? Um, yeah, well, it, it was a tricky one. So um, it was really important that we kept that balance because if we didn't, then I think the main focus would be about me and Mo's relationship. Um, and we didn't necessarily want that. It was just kind of um, something that was thrown Emma's way um, as, as almost like a tool or device for her growing and learning as a teenager. So I almost sometimes look at Mo as like a metaphor mm -hmm. rather than um, like an actual person. Like he needed to be there just for Emma to figure out a few stuff. But I also didn't want her to be like naive and taken advantage of by some man because we've seen that movie so many times. So I definitely wanted it to come across that she knew what she was doing. And at the same time, she might have, she, she was skeptical and she might have known that was wrong, but she still had her head screwed on. And um, yeah, uh, it was a tricky one, but um, I hope that uh, it didn't come across too strong or creepy because I don't think that was the intent. It's not really about me and Mo. It's, mm -hmm. yeah, so. And I think that's what's so fascinating, again, the idea of upending tropes, because we've seen the, the pretty girl on screen, the pretty popular girl on screen, being the mean one or having everything come to her easy. And then you learn Chantelle has worked very hard. Um, even Emma has like a, a moment where she essentially slut shames Chantelle, and that flips the script, because again, we're used to seeing kind of the oddball weirdo goth girl being deemed to be promiscuous. And was that something that was always in the script, those ideas, and that in really complex relationship between sisters are going, I'm so deliberately trying to not be you, but we might be clinging on to bad traits, both of us. Exactly, yeah. I mean, it was something that we definitely tried to do visually as well in terms of costume, that, you know, Emma very much starts to wear some of Chantal's clothes, but, but by the end she's back wearing her own clothes. But, but, but slightly, you know, slightly adapted, but not that much. Um, but that was, yeah, it was really important to me. Obviously, Emma, it's, it's seen from Emma's point of view, so in a way, Chantal can be seen to be, you know, she's almost made out to be worse than she really is because she's actually gives her loads of good advice is the only one saying don't do this you know and, and you know i care about you but it's emma is not really seeing that because she's you know in her own kind of bubble like we all are so um it was important from from Leah's point of view as well that she wasn't playing you know even though she's obviously a smart person she didn't want to be uh you know a, the same time, uh, she, she's got a little bit to learn as well, obviously, Chantal, you know, to, to be more inclusive of her sister and stuff, so they both have stuff, stuff to learn, but, um, yeah. I'd love to, I want to talk about the idea of the mirror image and even their distinct styles, because I love that shot when you can see the two bedrooms and how diametrically opposed they are, but that's like a theme that comes up in your photography a lot, like the idea of reflections and mirror images. That's right, right. <laughs> <laughs> you haven't seen his Instagram, so beautiful, so accessible. Um, reflections, guys, they so work. <laughs> Um, but talk to me about creating the visual style of the film because it's also there's so much color and it's so fun and playful Like did you know what it was going to look like going in? How did you because you shot it in 20 days, which is not a lot of time So did you have to know exactly what shots you wanted how it looked? Yeah, um, it was terrifying and um, this like on the, the monitor You kind of have the time going by but it's also got the seconds and the, the seconds are going by in tens as well And you're just watching like it's hypnotic. You're just watching the time go by and you're going, how is this even? 
how do we even get anything done? Um, so I would be, I would shot, shot this the night before and, you know, be really prepared. So even if you throw it away, at least, you know, in terms of the hour going by, how far you are in each scene and how far fast we have to go. But um, yeah, we use anamorphic lenses, which, which are a little bit more expensive. Um, they're the kind of proper widescreen lenses, sometimes with, with other, I'm getting so, so, so nerdy now, but like, if you were to shoot on, non-spherical lenses, that's what normal widescreen films would be shot with. You still get the information at the top and the bottom of the screen, but you're not quite getting a depth because you're losing out on that. So with anamorphic lenses, it's just the, that image that's the, the kind of long, oblong, that's all you're getting. So you <coughs> sacrifice. <laughs> it's really interesting to me. Um, but, um, but hopefully you wouldn't really notice. It's just sort of like, uh, they're a lovely lens that really give an extra depth and they're not always used. I think they were used in Ferris Bueller and, and actually Fleabag used them um, for the first and second series. But the first series actually used my notes Fleabag because it was so beautifully shot. Mm -hmm. But you don't really notice why, but you just know there's something different about it. Um, and then obviously the colours and stuff, we, we worked on all those. And, Chantal's world, world versus Emma's world, and that was really good fun. Neil, the designer, and Annie Atkins um, designed the poster, but she also designed the book and the, the, the room, Emma's room, and stuff like that. Annie so. Atkins, who has worked with uh, Wes Anderson, yeah. and it was incredible. Yeah. Okay, Hugh has gotten to be nerdy about his craft, so let's get nerdy about yours. How do you get into character? Do you research? Do you listen to music? And I mean, obviously, this, this film touches on so many themes, mm -hmm. and uh, influences and ideas that affect young women today. Like there is the influencer culture, there is conformity generating the pressure to fit in, there is romantic relationships, there is sexting. I mean, do you look into these ideas? Do you decide how much Emma knows? Or how do you, do you stay in character? How does it work for you? Um, yeah, well, first of all, I don't like necessarily go in thinking that I'm playing a character. Um, I just try find a version of myself that, you know, with Emma's circumstances and Emma's life and background, um, so I react as um, a version of myself within her world and who she is, if that makes mm -hmm. sense. Um, so that's probably what you were touching on when you said, that I, I, I almost come, like I come across honester. Um, but yes, and also it wasn't that hard because you know, I was a teenager and, you know, I I felt like everyone was about me and that I was holding Caulfield from Catcher in the Rye. Yeah, so a bit embarrassing, but yeah, I thought I was edgy and cool. So I um, loved playing Emma because that was just kind of an outlet for everything that I was embarrassed to do. <laughs> but um, yeah, like with, with this one, you know, it's, it's so far from what I've done before. Everything else was, you know, pretty dark. Um, like, you know, like you mentioned, I used to live here. That was about a young teen uh, struggling with suicide, suicidal ideation, and then um, rebellion. I was a prostitute trying to make ends meet in poverty, and um, so. But when I did read the script, it did come across a lot darker. You know, when I read the relationship between Emma and Mo, um, but the world that Hugh created made it so playful and colourful that um, Emma really evolved as a character. So I don't go in with, and it's not me being lazy, I promise, I don't go in with so much like research. And I, I always like to let the character grow and evolve and I feel like it, it looks more authentic then um, and more natural uh, without coming in with all, all of you know this stuff that you had collected before. I like to let it grow because you know I'd I'd have to see the other characters and, and how they respond and 
and Hugh's world to really find Emma. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I just like to allow it happen um, when the time comes on set, usually, yeah. One detail I love, and we spoke about this before, is that the idea of the accents in the film, which feels like such a relevant thing to young people today, that Chantelle has a very different accent to Emma because they're carving out their identities. Um, so tell me first of all about, was that always intended? And then we've had a conversation about what accents get represented on screen and which get overlooked, which I think is very interesting and isn't something that's explicitly addressed a lot. So tell me a little bit about, was that always a decision, first of all? Well, it was, it was something that I guess that, that came up early on and, and, and actually Lee is from Limerick um, and uh, so, you know, we, we knew that we had to kind of do some work on I mean, actually all the actors who played family, like Dylan Morton's from Navin and Yasmin's from Drada, <laughs> so they were all spread, spread out, so it's more kind of a movie world rather than a real world, but um, when Jordan's coming board, obviously works a little bit in her accent just to soften, you know, Softened some of it, but it was it was. I loved that that and Sean is actually from Furhouse, uh, so we wanted them to kind of they matched up really well, and then Leah's kind of putting on a kind of a posher accent anyway. And I know my friend Lisa; she's from Kalani, and her brother has such a dull accent, and he's so clearly not, you know. But um, we you know we all have people like that, so we actually put something into the script just a little bit about it to kind of comment on it a little bit more as well. Yeah, I But we've had conversations as well about. You, you have a, a Tala accent and there are more and more people like Emmett Kirwin, like Shauna Kerslake, like Stephen Jones who are portraying these accents that for a long time we really really didn't hear on screen and now because accents have become this kind of weird cultural classed thing people are are finding are either choosing accents or really making sure to hold on to their own and see that represented on screen and that's been an important thing for you hasn't it Jordan? Um, yeah, my, my friends from Trinity over there, uh, they're in my course, they know how much I talk about being working class and owning my accent and I, yeah, that's a big thing for me, um, you know, like I, I, I use my mom for an example, she's um, a politician and she's covered in tattoos, she has a really strong Tala accent, she curses, she's, you know, um, she's definitely from Tala and, um, but, but, it's it's so nice because like you said we don't hear that voice enough in the arts um politicians so it, it makes that less foreign for for working class areas um which is hugely important because i want them to know that they can reach that and they 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 belong there too in that world and um so it was a bit hard to let go and um put on my d4 accent <laughs> um but yeah, like, you know, obviously it, it's acting, so I have to. It's <laughs> <laughs> no. hard to be true to her accent, whereas you were also passionately true to yours. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. But no, it definitely it needed to be done because <laughs> I'm, I'm brutal at accents and um, yeah, I, I need to work on that. So this film definitely gave me more confidence in trying to, um, you know, just explore a little bit and um, let go of that sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> but I think for the for the film, thematically it works so well, that idea of what identities they're clinging to and how they're living their authentic yeah, voices. Yeah, exactly. yeah. Um, we might turn it open to you in a minute. First of all, before we do, just so people can gather, gather those thoughts and come up with a question, we need to ask, the band name Yeast Infection, I mean that's a choice. Uh, were there other band names that were floating around? I just want to hear about the process of choosing oh that name. <laughs> That was, that was cool, um, yeah, the, the band names were fun, that yeah. was, I still think Ampersand is one of the funniest, we found a band called Ampersand, there was a band called Ampersand. Of course there was, yeah. of course there was. And <laughs> um, tell me a, bit, a little bit about the original music. 
in the film? Where did that come from? Did, would, did that pre-exist the script? Or some of it did, yeah. We obviously needed to have some ready for, for shooting. And uh, so that was, it was really good fun. John, also the composer, and uh, yeah, worked together on that and wrote some songs, which was really exciting. Um, we had a couple of Irish bands who were great, Ships and David Kitt and uh, King Bones, um, who were all local. Um, so that was great too. It was really important to try and get as much Irish music in as we could. So. Uh, yeah, that, that was that was so much a fun part of it, to be honest. Okay, so looking for a yeast infection on the electric picnic council. Um, does anybody have a question? Yes. Do we do we have a mic or do you just need to shout? Uh, That's okay. <laughs> do you think Dan is going to get the money back? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, we talked about if she was going to bring up right then and there. Um, I don't know how many people get that that in the party that the. The girls basically say to her, "You're going to make twenty grand from your from your accident." So we kind of thought that, in a way, that kind of explains the fact that at least she'll be okay, and you know, it should, it, it, that, it's a really good point. But uh, I think, she, yeah, we, we we wanted it to keep going without getting too bogged down. So that was our hopefully semi-elegant way of solving that. <laughs> the sequel is the lawsuit between the sisters. Exactly. <laughs> yes. Well, I think the world does that because it's really stylized and generalized. Really, um, I w I wouldn't have probably even looked at that and thought and thought Dublin, but um, I thought it was really nice that that the characters definitely use like the slang and yeah. that kind of stuff. Yeah, we we actually didn't really want the one thing was to try and not have any recognizable landmarks apart from Rathfarnham Shopping Centre, which I think we've seen in Intermission. <laughs> Because we realised that as soon as you got there, but it's still so cool. It looks like a super bad mall. Anyway, um, so um, yeah, we we that was kind of the rule was to have no, you know, um, hidden bridges or anything like that. We do mention Dublin once, I think Aaron does, but that's about it. It was more just kind of suburban, suburban, you know, uh, nightmare. No. <laughs> just oh yes, back. Just when it came to funding, um, funding and practical note, was it an advantage that? Responsible got in the heat, like just really sweaty. Yeah, <laughs> and didn't even have a proper like haircut. It was just that my hair grew out. It wasn't like it was a proper curet. Like some of my friends could back on really well. Mine was just like a mess. Sorry, that's a reference. There isn't a social media account just called Goths in Heat. I'm just Goths in all the paraphernalia. Yeah, just during the summer, well. looking very sweaty and uncomfortable. Does <laughs> um, anyone else have a question? Yeah, uh, yeah. What did Emma and Chantal get the leaving cert? I don't know. If I... <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm in your course. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I do the best. Actually, I look because you're studying film and English in Trinity, and I'd love to hear, like, having already been in film and TV and acting, how is it now studying it? Is it making you want to write and direct things? <laughs> how are you feeling? Yes. 
guess. <laughs> um, well, you know, I saw how stressed he was as a director. You <laughs> <laughs> were talking about the time to get down. I just, I don't know what I'd be able for that. It's a lot more relaxing being a Mandy. Um, but no, doing film has definitely opened my mind, probably. But no, acting is where I'm at right now. We'll react. But I appreciate it. <laughs> Actually, you I'd love to know because you started acting so young. You were, what age, 10 when you first role? Yeah. Um, is that in your head when you're directing, particularly working with a lot of young people? Like, were there experiences that you had as a, you know, working as a child actor saying this was very stressful or I really appreciate it when directors did this? And yeah, I, I, it's definitely in my head. Um, I was really lucky in a lot of my early experiences because I've worked with really great people and then did have a couple of terrible ones. I was in a, a horror film called Red Rex when I was about 10, which I don't know if you've seen, which is a classic. Um, <laughs> I, get, I get my head bitten off after about 10 minutes. And I got to see the classic scene, which is literally, I'm, in a, I'm reading a comic book and I, I look at it and I go, ah, and then, then I, my head is on stick, basically, from then on. Um, but the director was really mean to me, and he was like quite impatient, and he said, the first thing he he was like, just look directly into the camera. And I was like, but you're not supposed to look in the camera. And he's like, it's for a camera shot. And I was like, I don't know what you're talking about, so it just got to be stressful. And they, they brought me in to meet the monster, and they were like, we don't want you to freak out when you see the monster, so we're going to just show you the monster. Here it is! No, no! That totally freaked me out, so I was afraid of the monster the entire movie, um, and it is quite scary. I'm getting off the point. Um, I had lots of really good experiences. Okay, so you about your childhood trauma now. It's fine. <laughs> so yeah, uh, but no, luckily I had loads of really good ones. So you know, my parents were really careful about me honest in school and stuff. So I didn't do that much, and I stayed in school. So okay. Uh, final questions before we wrap it up and let you wander out into the sunshine and into some pride celebrations. I would love to hear about what's going up next for both of you because you literally just wrapped on a project today. Was it your last day of shooting? Can you tell us about it or is it top secret? I'm really bad. I don't want to get in trouble. <laughs> um, well, it's so it's another period piece. So I just filmed Rebellion Resistance and after jumping into another period piece, it was really hard today because it was so sunny and I was in a corset and it's like layers and layers because it's set in the Victorian ages, it was dreadful. Um, but um, no, it's a black comedy, it's called Dead Still, and it's, it's a great cast, and I'm going to leave it there. <laughs> so everyone keep an eye out. And you, you're working on a couple of projects and doing an animated project, which is very yeah, interesting. Yeah, I had an animation that I finished called The Overcoat, so that was, I think, we're hoping that might be on TV this Christmas. Um, so we've been working on a, a series, actually, a different series about an animation project. and. Uh, I directed by the three RT Head Cases, something that's out in September, um, and just working on a couple more writing things. Brag about who's in Head Cases. Yeah, uh, Shauna Kurzik and Charlie Bailey. Charlie wrote it for her and Shauna running a hair salon in Martin. So it's fun, yeah. Okay, so two things to keep an eye out for, and I think after that film, I think you'll agree. We're excited to see what these guys do next because they're amazing. So, everyone, thank you so much for coming. Can you give these two a <laughs>